This is Podco Media Networks. It's the Demystifying Data Podcast with Chris Clegg, where we deconstruct the tools and techniques marketers need to make data more actionable. Here's Chris. Hello, welcome. Thank you for joining us in another episode of Demystifying Data. My name is Chris Clegg, and I'm your host. And today, I'm excited to have Matthew Carl on the podcast. Matt is an executive VP at Revolution. And, you know, I've had the pleasure of joining Matt on more than a few brand meetings over the years. And I can honestly report that I have never worked with somebody who is more sincerely committed to a client's success. He's an ad man at heart with a new school worldview, and it's an absolute pleasure to have him on the podcast. Uh, Thanks so much, Matt. Welcome. Well, that's entirely humbling, Chris. Thank you. Um, I'm truly excited and honored to have been asked to participate here with you um, on this podcast. Certainly not unlike the many things and uh, that you and I have uh, undertaken over the years, probably, you know, coming upon a a decade here. So uh, like every kind of opportunity working with you, this is uh, equally exciting. So thank you. Uh, excellent. You rock. I, you know, I was looking back at um, at my notes and get ready for this call. And I think we started working together back in 2005, which it's hard to believe is coming up on 15 years ago. Oh, my. Yeah, that's truly unbelievable. Yeah. So tell me about your your career path in marketing. I mean, how did you get started in marketing? What did you study? Like, how did you end up where you are today? Interesting. It certainly wasn't a linear path. Uh-huh. I uh, originally went to school for chemistry, interestingly, and it was because that's what I was good at out of high school. And, you know, here you are 18 years older and it's like, well, what do you want to do the rest of your life? Well, I want to do that, which I'm good at and get excited by. And chemistry was that at the time until second semester freshman year. And I said, I can't do this the rest of my life. (laughs) (laughs) So I made a change. And I made a change out of chemistry into business and marketing. And I did that specifically because of the, at least what I perceived at the time, and I think confirmed all of these, you know, after all of these years, is the balance of art and commerce. Yeah. I didn't want to go in particularly to accounting. I thought maybe economics was a little nebulous. Mm -hmm. But marketing gave me a really nice balance of bringing art and commerce together in the world of business. And that's ultimately what I studied. That's great. And uh, has it always been in the experiential space, events world? Has there been other areas or? I mean, I guess at the core, it's always been in experiential. That is to say, through experience, right? Brands that are experienced. I guess the different instruments are the different places for that. It started for me. In trade shows, interestingly. Yeah. I was in public sector software with a small firm in Pennsylvania. And that small firm, because they were so small, it afforded me a lot of latitude from uh, the ability to contribute and experience and learn. Yeah. Yeah. So it started in trade shows, but it was, what's the physical expression of this brand? And once we build the physical expression, what do we do with that? Yeah, It doesn't just work itself. So you have to represent live and use your voice and kind of consult. So trade shows is really probably where I started in marketing services. That's great. That's cool that that you found yourself early on in your career with a job or an employer that kind of threw you in and let you figure that stuff out. I think about 
my career and I think some of the things that moved me ahead and really helped me develop the passions that I have today were having bosses or employers that trusted me to run with it and to figure it out. And that freedom kind of gave me the chance to find my voice and do things in the way that I like to do them and definitely kept me from burning out. And uh, it sounds like you had a similar experience. Absolutely. Until this very day. And I'm forever thankful. And interestingly, right earlier in your career, or early in my career, rather, I don't know if I would have acknowledged or, or that or have seen that autonomy yeah. and the benefit of that. But as it comes here later in my career, and dealing with team members that are newer to the industry and actively asking for training and you know, this and that, if an employer allows some autonomy and some chance taking, it's the best possible foundation for education that an employer can give. You know, there's formal training for sure, and, and that is valuable, but autonomy to make those mistakes and learn and effectively contribute with a unique voice, really, really exciting stuff. That's cool. Yeah, I think about my career path and I think about like, what would I do differently if I had the chance to do it over again? And I've always been on the agency side and sometimes I've wished I could have done a few years on the brand side to really dove into a particular industry with more intensity or, you know, sometimes I think from a schooling perspective, I wish I had taken some kind of accounting classes or, <laughs> or something that would have gotten me because the struggle had been really intense for me to get up to speed on some fundamental things. Uh, what about yourself? Is there, are there things you would do differently? Are there things you would do over again and a, a little bit, uh, a little bit different? I don't know if I would do anything differently. I, I've been quite fortunate to have worked with teams and employers that kind of have given me a new life every year or two, no matter the tenure at an organization. Yeah. So that has always been wonderful. So it never, ever, ever felt stale or easy. It was always exciting and wonderful with a new management challenge to solve. And that's always been great. But I do echo your sentiment um, with regard to client side. Yeah. When I was in school, in marketing, they didn't express that there was a client side and an agency side. Yeah, I had no idea what that even meant back then. No, I had no idea. And luckily, I fell into agency side because I think that is you know, certainly where I fit best. But here we are in agency services, and our jobs are to service our clients. Yeah, true. Having experience on client side would probably allow me to understand their voice and their trials and tribulations, which are harder and harder every day. So some client-side experience would be wonderful. And I think it still remains an opportunity for a shared experience and vice versa. Totally. Client to agency, agency to client. Tell me about data and, and your, your work and your, your world. How have you engaged data and what role has it played and where is that today? Data is, is interesting and I believe it to be exciting for a couple specific reasons. When I first started in the business of experiential marketing, it was kind of new in a sense. Yeah. And the prettiest design or asset was the one that won the business, right? Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily mean it was the most effective. And so, you know, you do it year one and it's the, it got this many impressions. And then, and then you, you know, you're competing for year two and it's like, oh, we'll get 10% more impressions. Yeah. But it wasn't measured rigorously. Impression counting is such BS if you don't have a method behind it. It's just, it's so, so... I mean, from an analyst perspective, it's so frustrating because it's just, there's nothing to it if you don't have a process. No doubt. And at that time, there wasn't a process. Yeah. It was, how many did you count for the purposes of putting it on paper? But over time, 
as experiential started to compete with the metrics of digital, something that was harder metrics, we needed to justify an experiential harder that it was also a powerful medium. And then ultimately a powerful medium in partnership with digital. So data started to be required to justify what, you know, earning budgets. And then once those budgets were earned, another place of evolution in my career with data was that if you're paying attention to it on a daily basis, it tells you stories by where you can optimize and make tomorrow better than today. Yeah. And if you look through that lens, through the duration of a program, and you're not saying at the end, did we succeed or we fail, but rather we're paying attention to give the absolute best effort to deliver success and kind of over success by the end, that was where I started to really get excited about data. Yeah, I, I learned that through you. It was yeah, great. Totally. It's a split test. I mean, you're always trying to like, you figure out what your overall average is from an outcome perspective. And then you segment that by the things you have control over to find out what are the things that I'm doing that's overperforming, doing better than average. And then how is it feasible from a strategic execution perspective to do less of the things that are below average and more of the things that are above average. And over time, you start to increase your impact. And it's, it's relatively simple so long as you've got things set up. No doubt. And I think it also kind of begs the, the maybe the observation of this word we hear a lot in the industry, nimble, right? Oh, we're nimble. We're nimble. Yeah. Well, to me, nimble doesn't necessarily mean we can move on a dime to set something up at the last minute, although that's important. What it says to me is we've learned something and we could capitalize on that yeah. quickly and not miss the opportunity. So I think that's an important distinction when defining nimble in this industry and data plays a big role in that. And that's tough to do because you've got, you build out a marketing plan, right? That's got a certain execution strategy and then you sell in that strategy and the budget to a team of stakeholders and then you just start trying to figure it out and pull it together and you're dealing with all of the creative aspects of things and getting those produced on schedule. You're getting teams being trained. You're developing copy, getting things on message. And then you're dealing with fire marshals and permits <laughs> and location and everything's going wrong. And, but the teams are just, they're awesome what they do. They pull it together. And then some guy comes along with the data saying, you know, we can do something different and it might be better. And you're like, oh my God, I just spent all this time getting everything set up and it's finally going smooth let me just run with this for a few months because it's what I said I was going to do and now it's finally working. And then here's this guy over in the corner saying, nah, if you do more of that, it might be better. And it's so, the commitment has got to be so strong to change gears midstream in that kind of world. But if you can do it, then you can really make that big difference. But it's hard. It's counterproductive, I think. It can be counterproductive, but it can also be incredibly effective. Yeah. And it takes a certain type of individual, not only on agency side, that is in the true essence of nimble, but also on the client side. Yeah, true. And as we talk about kind of, you know, maybe how clients have changed over time. We've had some great clients though together in this. We've program. had some incredible clients and the ones that I believe service their brands most effectively yeah. are the ones who were able to, and willingness to trust and make those changes midstream versus yeah. seeing them through all the way to the end. Now, it is critical to have the most informed starting point, but unexpected things will happen. 
and unexpected opportunities will materialize. Eyes open and ability to capitalize on that, that is the most exciting part of, I think, this job. Totally. You know, and from the analyst side of things, the, when you're dealing with all of that, especially when it's a team that's relatively new to this kind of stuff, you're searching for that win. You're searching for that impossible accomplishment where you've done something with the data to predict the future and then that future has come to pass. And once you have that win, then those eyes go wide open and they start to realize this is not, there's something more to this and we can have more control over what those sales are going to be down the road. But it's before you have that win, it's a leap of faith that is rare to come across. No doubt. But to your point, some of the best clients that we've worked with, yeah, they want to deliver the most effective programming, no doubt. Totally. So any tools available to them, they're hungry to see them and learn. Yeah. And of course, there might be instances where they discard and they call BS on it and yeah. say, this isn't effective in my organization. But those mavericks that are willing to evaluate something new and give it a try, and from a well-informed point of view, they advance brands, they advance business results, and those are the most fun opportunities. We're going to wrap it there for the first part of this two-part episode with interview with uh, Matthew Carl of Revolution. I really enjoyed the conversation we had about the uh, freedom that a boss can give you and how important that is early in a career. And it's always fun reminiscing about great clients. Uh, we certainly have had a, a, some wonderful ones together. You know, in the second part of this episode, we continue that discussion around what makes great clients great. And we also go into a project that we had done where we overlaid experiential engagements with sales trends and were able to show a very clear link between the two and how that affected campaign design and campaign development. We talk about in the second part of this episode why we were perfectly okay with 6.30 a.m. weekly client calls. And Matt also shares his ideas around long-tail brands, which is a phrase I had never heard of before. He shares his insights of where they come from, what they're all about, and how uh, we relate to them as marketers. So I hope you'll join us for the second episode. I hope you enjoyed the first part of this interview. And if you're not already, already a subscriber, please go ahead and subscribe. We want to keep you up to date on what we're talking about. We publish every Wednesday. We'll talk to you again soon. Tune in next time as Chris Clegg continues demystifying data. Meantime, head over to demystifyingdata.co to learn more.